ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. John 20. And while you're doing that, I want to just give my own encouragement to you to come out uh, this evening to support our youth. And that's not just for you parents or grandparents that have somebody in the, the program. Uh, we take a vow when uh, some of these very uh, youth were little children, little infants, and were baptized here in terms of uh, doing our part in encouraging them. And, and so what we're saying in essence is these are our children, whether they're actually yours by blood or not. So I encourage you to come out this evening and uh, rejoice in the gifts and talents that God has given to them and encourage them along in, uh, in the use of those gifts. In John 20, uh, we have uh, another account of uh, the resurrection and appearance uh, from just a, a little bit different angle. The tomb is found empty. And then we read in verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this She turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him. I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, this passage is familiar to many of us here. We've read it. We've heard it. Will you help us to sense that moment by your spirit? Will you implant the message of this passage of the related passages in our hearts, 
Enable us to respond to you. Even, Lord, as we walk toward this table, this communion table, we need you in these moments to continue to prepare our hearts, soften us, to enable us to hear the thunderous truth sweet whispers. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, next Thursday, May the 21st, is actually what would be considered to be Ascension Day. Uh, Every year, 40 days after Easter, after celebration of the resurrection, The church celebrates the ascension. That doctrine that R.C. Sproul once said is the most ignored uh, doctrine of all. I was hearing him speak to our presbytery of the ascension. He was arguing for us to name our presbytery that. But hearing him speak to that, that encouraged me to remember the ascension and to dig into it more and more. Uh, So this Sunday, as we approach the Lord's table, we're going to look at, start with this passage that doesn't talk specifically about the ascension, but took place between the resurrection and the ascension. So I want us to focus just for a moment here, and then we're going to look at a number of passages that deal with a question that I want to present to you. It may not be completely apparent as to why I would even read this passage pertaining to the ascension after these magnificent hymns that we have sung talking about what a sight it must have been when he ascended into heaven. But what we have here is one specific thing that takes place that has often been misinterpreted, and we find it in verse 17. We see Mary being encountered by the risen Lord And he says, in the New International Version, they translated, do not hold on to me. Now, some of your versions and the version that I was first introduced to said, don't touch me, for I've not yet ascended. And I had even heard it preached that she wasn't supposed to touch him because there was something about his body at that point that uh, she ought not to actually touch him. And it made me think, well, what would, ha- what would happen if she touched him? I mean, would he dissolve? What, you know, what, why not touch him? And it was only later, and I think this is a good translation here, uh, it's not so much, it can be translated touch, but it is more the idea of grasping, of fastening yourself to. And so, 
you get the picture that either she was about to or she was when she saw him just holding on to him. And then he says, don't hold me back, in essence. Why? For I've not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, why would it have been so bad for her to hold him back? holding him back from what he was about to do. What was it that he warned her against, that if she had held him back, she would have missed out on? And evidently, we would have as well. What was he going to do? I mean, after all, wouldn't it be better for us, for Mary? Wouldn't it have been better if he had stayed? You know, think of our times of worship. Wouldn't it be wonderful if if he was here when we were worshiping and and he was sitting up on, I don't know where he would sit here, but but he was right in front of us. And we know he's present, but wouldn't it be wonderful, incredible? What about when you go to the hospital? You know, when you're scared. And you need instruction. Wouldn't that have been better for Mary and for the disciples and the the church in that day for him to have stayed and continued to instruct and then continued on and had his uh, life eternal here on earth so that even today we would be enjoying his very bodily presence among us? There must be some reason. Why? He said, don't hold me back. Don't keep me here. I'm going to give you six things, rather briefly, from different passages as to why it wouldn't have been better. What would we have missed if Mary had held on? The first thing. Jesus wouldn't have interceded for us. 1 John 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And then Hebrews 9. Verse 24, these pa- I'm going to be going through them quickly. These passages are listed in your outline if you uh, want to look at them later. Hebrews 9, 24, for Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary. It was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Now notice in, in, in that point, I use the past tense. Jesus wouldn't have interceded for us. We normally think of Jesus interceding when we think of him praying for us. And isn't he always doing that? And the answer is yes, he is. In fact, we'll talk about that in a moment.
But here what I'm talking about in terms of his intercession is him presenting himself to the Father for our sin. When we sin, Jesus, as our advocate, has stated that we've been paid for. Yes, Father, he sinned, she sinned. But Father, I died on the cross for that sin. He intercedes for us by presenting himself. He is the great high priest, and at the same time, he is the sacrifice, the Offended one provides for the offense in presenting himself to the Father. If Mary had held on, he would not have been able to do that. If Mary had held on, we could not be sure that his payment on the cross made full satisfaction to the Father. How could we know? John 16, verse 9. says, In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me uh, in regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. Now, this is a passage that speaks of uh, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. John Flavel, who was a, a Puritan, preacher, theologian, writer, said this. And I'm going to use his words, then we'll figure out what they mean. He stated, How is it that the Spirit convinceth the world of righteousness, but from Christ going, uh, from Christ going the Father and returning hither no more, which gives evidence of God's full content and satisfaction both with his person and work. You're going, what? <laughs> what, did, what did John Flavel say? Well, here, here's, let me, let me illustrate it, okay? Let's say a father or mother gives a task to a child. It says, go do this, bring it to me, and show it to me when you're done. The child goes, thinks they're done, comes and the father says, no, you didn't do it right. Go back and do this or change that or do it all again. Okay, so the sending back and then come back, keep coming back until it's right. Well, John Flavel is saying, look, you know how we know the father was fully satisfied? Because when Jesus presented to him what he had done on the cross, his perfect life, the Father didn't send him back. The Father didn't say, go back and and finish it up or do it right this time. Instead, he stayed with the Father. It was perfect. 
Jesus' sacrifice was once for all. If Mary had held on, thirdly, Jesus would not now be interceding for us in the same way. Now this is the intercession we usually think of. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now notice when what I said was Jesus would not now be interceding for us <clears throat> in the same way. You know, if, if Jesus were here, he could still be praying for us, certainly. He did that when he was walking the earth. He prayed for us. He prayed for his disciples. We see that in John 17, his great intercessory prayer. So I'm not saying that he, he couldn't have prayed for us if, if Mary had held him here on this earth. But he wouldn't have been praying in the same way. How so? Well, one Scottish preacher said, Christ's intercession in heaven is a kind of powerful remembrance of his people and of all their concern, managed with state and majesty, not as a suppliant at a footstool, but as a crowned prince on the throne at the right hand of the Father. That's the difference. He is in the place of the crowned prince, as that preacher puts it, the place of honor, the place that was designed for him. And so, when he speaks to the Father, he is there with authority, which, as it says in Hebrews, gives us the confidence then to go. It's not him saying, come on, buddy, let's go, let's go and approach the throne. He is so we approach the throne through him with confidence. If Mary had held on, it would not have been the same. Fourthly, we would not enjoy the blessing of the Spirit, of God's Holy Spirit. John 16, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. And there he states it right out. He says, it's better for you that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. He'll bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Now, again, how could it possibly be better that Jesus was going away? His leaving caused grief it caused confusion among his followers. It caused misunderstanding. Even though here he clearly tells them ahead of time, it's going to be better when I go away. And the reason there was the grief and the misunderstanding is because it didn't look better at that moment. It seemed 
worse that he's going away. We had him. He died on the cross, but he rose again, and now he goes away. And that was their problem. But Jesus says, here's why it's better. Because when I ascend into heaven, I'm going to send the Spirit. And look, he's not going to be in one place. He's going to dwell inside of you. Inside of you. So that I will be wherever you are. If Jesus had not ascended, he would have been localized in his body. He couldn't have been everywhere at once. He he could not have dwelled in our heart. He had a body, has a body still. I saw an aerial picture uh, in National Geographic of the temple in Mecca, the temple that everyone faces, uh, the Muslims all over the world face when they pray. Now, this aerial shot uh, was taken when there uh, was a great pilgrimage there. I don't know how they figured it out, but they said it was a picture of two million people. They were all bowed down facing the, ten, the um, mosque on all sides. Some of them, though they were there, were not very close. Now ask yourself this. If Jesus were here today, what would that aerial picture look like? Remember I asked you earlier, well, wouldn't it be better if you go to the hospital if Jesus could be there? Well, he was only in one place at a time. And so now we say you go to the hospital and Jesus is there. He is with you. But if Mary had held him back, he would have been in one location. And I suspect there would have been millions more than the a two million always around him. And I don't know this, but I doubt that he ever would have gotten to the sanctuary at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. But because he was not held back, because he went, it was better for us because he sent his spirit. And so now today we can say, he is here, absolutely. Fifth, if Mary had held on, we would not have a place prepared for us in heaven. John 14, verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. When Jesus entered heaven, he did so in his own name. And now we can enter in his name. And it says that he is preparing a place for us. You know, my mom, who is in assisted living now, when she was in some of her more uh, painful times after breaking bones and so on, feeling so desperate, she said, why can't I just go home? And, you know, I didn't 
have an answer to that except this. Mom, I guess your room's not ready yet. Just got to wait in line. <laughs> I, t- I told her, I said, you, when I was a little boy, you taught me that uh, I had to stand in line. I couldn't butt in front of others, and you got to wait till, till it's your turn. But here's the thing. He is lovingly preparing a place for his children. If, if Mary had held him back, that would not have been the case. One commentator said, the dust of the earth is on the throne of the majesty on high. If Mary had held on, he would not have the glory due him. Luke 24, verse 26. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? You see, the world is not a place where his glory can dwell in the same way as it can in heaven. It never was. He set aside much of his glory in order to come to this world. And so, what do we want? Do we want him to have all the glory due his name? I think his people would say, Amen. Absolutely, we do. If Mary had held on to him, he would not have that glory due his name. She wanted to hold on to him. His disciples wanted him to stay. Because it didn't make sense at first. Well, now it does. But here's another question. What about in your life? Is there something that you may be struggling with where you can't see that it's the best for you? You've often heard me say that God always does what's best for his children. But I also have to say, even though it doesn't always look like it from our perspective, And so there may be something in your life where you're saying, I don't see how this can be best for me. Even though he is in control of all things. Even though in my head I want to say he always does what's best. I just don't see it. Now think of Mary and the disciples and us when Jesus said that his going away was better for them. There was no way at that moment they could understand how it could be better for them. But later they did. And now we do. And so, whatever it is in your life that you may be wondering about as well, perhaps, sometime, you too shall see that it's best for you. And so we approach the table. 
And so what does the ascension have to do with the table before? The table re- reminds us that though he is absent in body, he is present with us in our midst. See, that's, that's why we stand on this side and we don't stand on that side. It's not an altar, but the table's in the middle of us like, like the tabernacle reminding us that he is among us by faith. In writing an argument uh, with those who thought that Christ was really present in the bread and the wine, John Calvin said, no, we cannot say that because for him to be really present bodily in the bread and the wine would be to drag him from his throne in heaven down to this. That can't be the case. Instead, Calvin says, this table lifts us up to that throne. Thanks be to God. And so we are lifted and we partake. What a glorious picture. I want you to listen carefully to the words of the institution of the supper of our Lord as they're given by the Apostle Paul. This is in 1 Corinthians 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember, all of this talk of going away had already been spoken. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. And then he says to that church, that's why there are many among you who are weak and sick and die. So for us, there's a gracious invitation and a gracious warning that we ought to discern the body. The body? Meaning what? To know Christ, to be trusting in Christ alone for our eternal life. And the body, the body of Christ, how beautiful is the body of Christ. And uh, to be a part of that, to have publicly professed our faith, and be a part of a church that believes God's word. That's who ought to come to the table. Now, you may say, what if I have sin in my heart? You do have sin in your heart. 
are you cherishing it? Are you loving it? Is it your idol? If it is and you're unwilling to give it up, then, then let the elements pass by you. He says it would be better to do that because not to do that would be offensive to the holy God. But what, what's better is to deal with that sin. Do it before the elements come. Repent of it. Turn from it toward God. Even as they are approaching. And that's where our growth comes. As we look deeper. As we commune deeper. Knowing that we are in His presence and He in ours. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you have given us these elements. We pray that you would set them apart from their normal use. Bread is fruit of the vine. To your holy use in our life, there's nothing magical about them. We know that. But we also know that supernaturally you can use them to grow us, to grow our faith. We plead for this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's always a wonderful celebration when we can gather around the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Dr. Weldon was saying earlier, this is a very important time that we do examine ourselves. And that's why we ask that uh, children who have not yet uh, met with this session, that they would... Uh, the parents would be sure that the uh, elements would pass by them and uh, take this opportunity this afternoon to, to talk to them about the importance of what it is that we're doing here uh, this morning. I also would ask that the elements are passed, that everyone hold them to show our unity that we have in Christ and we'll all partake together. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he blessed it, he broke it. He said, this my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace 
I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Take and eat in remembrance of what Christ did for you. Feed on him in your faith. same manner after dinner our Savior also took the cup and after giving thanks he said to his disciples this is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins drink from it all of you now I am going to him who sent me Yet none of you ask, where are you, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you'll see me no more? And after a little while you'll see me? I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I'll see you again, and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to this table come with thankful hearts our Lord Jesus Christ for his work on the cross, for his ascension into heaven, where he continues to minister over his church. Father, we come to you with our praise and our thanksgiving for him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.